Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. Well, happy Father's Day. It's been said a couple of times, but if you're a father in the room, happy Father's Day to you. If you're not, that's okay. We still invite you to celebrate on our special day. That's totally fine for you to do that. Uh, You know, Father's Day is this interesting thing because it's filled with all these guys who all year long seemingly feel like they're constantly getting it wrong. And then all of a sudden our kids say stuff about us on this day. And we're like, who are they talking about? Oh, they're talking about me, right? Uh, Pastor Blake and I were talking earlier this week about how we're helping our kids with math homework. Uh, we've got two kids that are about the same age that are kind of at a similar stage in school and math. And so we're talking about how they're teaching math differently now than they taught it when we were in school. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just different. And so when our kids are asking us for math help, you know, like Cooper, my oldest son will say to me, hey, dad, you know, I need you to help me with this. And so I'll help. And I'll say the answer is 11. He'll say, no, no, you can't just give me the answer. I've got to show my work. And I'm like, okay, we'll just put six plus five equals 11. He's like, no, no, no. You got to show the work based on the problem here. And you got to kind of work. And I'm like, well, why do you have to show that kind of work? It's much simpler to do it this way. But what I'm learning is that they're trying to teach him critical thinking and they're trying to teach him a process by which to take the information he's been given and to come to his own answers. Because as a father, I just want to jump in and just give him the answer. I just want to jump in and help him finish that and finish the problem. And, but what I'm learning is that this math problem in his grade is not just a math problem. It's also his ability to begin to think critically and to process information and to find answers and find solutions and help to get the things that he needs to get. Well, as a father, I, I am a fixer by nature. I know a lot of fathers are similar ways. A lot of moms, you're fixers by nature. As parents, we want to jump into our kids' problems. I wanted to give you some examples for me, and not everything today will be about fatherhood, but I wanted to give you some examples today for me of how I've tried to help be a fixer in the lives of our four kids. Cooper's our oldest, so I'll start with him. He's actually here in the room today as I'm talking about him, but Cooper was in a little bit of a hitting slump earlier this season in baseball. He plays baseball. He's a little hitting slump, and I don't coach his team this season, and so I did what a lot of parents do in situations like that. I would yell at him from the stands, <laughs> right? Not negative things, not like you're terrible, you're good for no- not not that kind of stuff. I would yell instruction from the sidelines. I would say, hey, move in on the plate a little bit. Get a little closer to the pitcher. You know, take your hands back a little. I would give instruction because what I was trying to do was help. If I could, I would get on the field with him. I'd get in the batter's box. I would wrap my arms around him, hold the bat back. When the pitch comes, I would help him swing the bat and get a hit, and then I'd let him run because I'm too lazy to do that. But I would... I can't do that anymore. He's not a toddler with a wiffle ball bat in the backyard. So I'm not, you know, with my arms around him trying to help him hit. I've, I've taught him things. His other coaches have taught him things. And so now I'm trying to help give instruction from the sidelines to help him not fail at what he's doing. So I'm trying to give instruction. Our, our youngest, Kenley, she's almost five, just a few weeks from now. She and I share a birthday. So in just a few weeks, she'll turn five. It's not important how old I'll turn, but she'll turn five. And she's really excited because in our house, our birthday is next. Like she told me recently, this past week, her, her mom had her birthday. It's not important how old she turned either, but her mom had her birthday. And Kinley informed the entire house that now that mom's birthday is out of the way, we're next. It's our birthday. And so she turns five in a few weeks, but just a few 
few weeks ago, she was playing on a playground with some other little girls. They had been playing for about 30 seconds, so in her world, they were best friends. And so they had been playing, and they were having a good time. And just a minute or two into them playing, she comes running to me crying and screaming to inform me that one of the little girls was mean to her and was just nasty and ugly and that she hurt her feelings and she's crying. So you know what I want to do. I wanted to go beat the little girl up, right? <laughs> but I can't do that because they put me in jail at that point. But what did I want to do? I wanted to go into her world and I wanted to remove the source of pain in her life, right? It's not just like Cooper where I want to yell instruction from the sidelines and not get on the field. At her age, I wanted to get into the situation and remove this person that was hurting my daughter. That's how I wanted to respond as a dad. Well, our our youngest son, our third in the line, Tucker, he's a little guy. He, He just turned seven in May and He's just a little guy, man. He's struggled to gain weight. He's healthy. The doctors keep giving him a clean bill of health. But he weighs, he told us last night, he came into our bathroom where there's a scale. He jumped on the scale. He actually took all of his clothes off first because he says his clothes weigh weigh a little bit. So he wanted to see what he weighed, not what he and his clothes weighed. So he took all of his clothes, he's butt naked. He gets up on the scale and he goes, yep, 41.2. Well, I don't know if you know anything on the scale of what seven-year-olds should weigh. He's got a buddy on his baseball team who's also seven. He weighs something around 80 pounds. Here's what I know. Somewhere between 40 and 80 pounds is what you should weigh as a seven-year-old. Because I think 40 is a little too little. I think 80 may be a little too much. But somewhere between 40 and 80 is what he should weigh. But he's a little guy. But as a part of him being a little guy, he has some terrible growth pains right now. He doesn't have a lot of meat on his bones to help protect. He, he falls. He's all the time just getting bruises and scares Corey and, you know, that kind of thing. But he's all the time having these growth pains right now. And so at night, man, his, his legs are aching and they're hurting, and they're throbbing. And so in our house, we have a heating pad. You know, you plug it into the wall. It's this little pad. It's got a little cloth thing wrapped around it. We'll put it on his legs. It'll help him. Well, the other night, he woke up screaming and yelling about his aching, hurting legs, and we could not find the heating pad. It was terrible, y'all. Like, it was so bad. So I did. I was a fixer. I jumped into the situation. I'm like, I got this. I took a washcloth. I poured hot water, scalding hot water on this washcloth. I rang it out. I went to his bed, and I started massaging his calf with this washcloth. Now, he got mad at me because what I found out later is it made his leg wet. It made his sheets wet. It made his bed wet. Like, he slept in water the rest of the night. I thought I was solving the problem. I was actually creating a whole different set of problems. But man, I thought, I'm fixing the pain. Now, Corey, she's much smarter than I am. She's a, she's a great parent. She had a better idea. She took a towel and put it in the dryer and made it hot. And so then I took the credit for that because what I did is then I took the towel and I wrapped an ace bandage around the towel to kind of create this compression on his leg. And so, you know, I wanted to be the healer here. I wanted to try to take away the pain that he was feeling by healing the hurt that was going on in his body. That's how I wanted to fix the thing that was going on with Tucker. Branson's our second son. He's the, the middle boy and the second kid in general. And in, in school a couple months ago, he had to build a catapult. Some of you followed along. We were kind of chronicling this online. And so, I, you know, I'm not Bob Vila or anything like that, but I decided I'd help him build the catapult. And I think I did more building than he did, but he, he got a pretty good grade. So I, I went and got some scrap wood in the garage and I cut it with my miter saw and I put my drill and we're building this, this catapult. And I got bungee cords and a cup that I attached there and he put a little ball in it and he was able to throw that ball with the catapult like 12 feet. And so he, he did pretty well in the, the thing that his science class was trying to do. Because 
even though I'm not in his grade, what I was attempting to do was go in and help him find success in his life. I wanted him to succeed. And so in each of these instances, you see that dad, as a fixer, wanted to get involved in the situation. I wanted to yell instruction from the sideline to a kid that's in a slump and trying to help him hit. I wanted to jump in and remove the source of pain for my daughter. I wanted to help Tucker be healed from the sickness and the pain that he was experiencing. And then for Branson, I wanted him to find success. Now, all of those things are good things. But I realized on a day like this, Not every guy in the room is a father. Obviously, there are women in the room. There are younger people in the room. There are grandparent-age people. There are empty nesters. I realize you're all at different stages of life. And so today, maybe you can't identify with the specifics of the things that I've attempted to do as a father, as a fixer, trying to help fix the situation. Maybe you're not yet trying to teach your kids, if you do have kids, how to hit a curveball or how to build a catapult, but maybe you're changing diapers right now. Maybe you're long beyond that stage, and instead you're actually helping them learn how to drive. Maybe they've already passed that, and they're out of college, and you're helping them find jobs, or maybe you're keeping the grandkids so they can go on dates, or maybe none of those things relate, but you can identify with the different stages and attempts to fix the things in the lives of people that you know and love. I ran across this article as I was preparing for today, and I love it because, again, it talks about these different stages of fatherhood. This comes from a father who's not at the same stage as I am. He's a few stages ahead of me, and I love the way that he describes his role as a father. This is what he says. I no longer force my son to eat strained peas. Thank God for that. Peas are terrible. Instead, I roll my eyes when he has cold pizza for breakfast. I don't stay up half the night with my colicky daughter anymore. Instead, I wait up making sure she gets home safely and, of course, keeps her curfew. My kids and I still get along pretty well, and I'm grateful for that. But do they need me? Probably not. They have cars and jobs and lives outside my front door. They may need my kitchen, my washing machine, my Netflix account. But me, I'm more comic relief now. Generally, I think dads, those that take their job seriously anyway, have a need to be needed. We're doers, we're dads, we're fixers, we're teachers. We dads bound in when something important needs doing. Monsters under the bed, a stubborn jar lid needs unscrewing. The cat's gone up the tree again, we'll take care of it. Someone needs to learn how to ride a bike or make a jump shot, we leap in to fix the problem. Sometimes I think we dads see ourselves as low-level superheroes, albeit ones with a woeful lack of super strength or x-ray vision. We're on call day and night, we're there in times of crisis, both, both big and small. We're there in times of need. So what happens once we've taught them to ride their bikes and they can open their own stubborn jars? When they don't even need a ride to the mall or money for the food court, how do we deal with that day when our kids revoke our superhero card? It's hard for kids to grow up these days. We all know it. But if growing into maturity is tough for our sons and daughters, it's pretty tough on parents too. As fathers, we were blessed with a job that we learned to love. It's hard, yes, but filled with adventure and variety and indescribable rewards. And what happens in the end, even if we do our job spectacularly well, we see our kids grow up into the men and women we knew they could be, and they leave us. The hard truth is that we work toward eliminating our own positions. Thanks for the 18 to 22 years you spent raising me, we're told in our exit interviews. Great job, but you're not needed anymore. But that's not exactly true, is it? We're not given our walking papers as much as we're given new job descriptions We're still fathers, we're still dads, but we move into new roles, ones that hopefully we can grow to love just as much. Again, I realize not everybody in the room is a dad, but I think this sets the stage for where we're headed today and where we're headed in this series over the next few weeks here in the summer as we look at things we wish Jesus didn't say. We're going to look at some passages of Scripture 
in the Bible where Jesus was giving some clear instruction or commands. He was giving a teaching, and he said something that's a little difficult. It's a little difficult to understand. Again, parents in the room or those, you know, you've had parents where you understand sometimes they say things we wish they wouldn't say. They say no sometimes we wish they would say yes. They give instruction that we wish they wouldn't give. And so that's really what we're going to look at over the next few weeks is just some places in Scripture where, where something is said, something is written as we read it here, that, man, we're just not really sure why it was said, why it was done in the way that it was done. But I, I want us to really see, if we can, especially today, the, the view of this, this title, this topic today of trouble and the trouble that we experience from the view of our Heavenly Father, from the view of God looking toward us, understanding that we're about to walk through trouble or we have been walking through trouble, and how He views the trouble that we in. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to flip to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, but you have some type of smart device, smartphone that's got a Bible app, feel free to jump there. John chapter 16. We're going to read from verse 33. Most of the scriptures today will be up on the screen if, uh, if you don't have a Bible or something to follow along with. John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now when we read that, this one verse, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page today to understand that while a lot of people have attempted to make religion and Jesus and things of faith, some type of get out of jail free card, some type of you don't ever have to walk through troubled times, you don't ever have to walk through bad times, I want you to know today that that is not a promise of God. That's not something that we have been assured of. It's not something that we have been given by God. You will have trouble in this world. This is the words of Jesus. You're going to walk through some rough days, some dark days. You're going to walk through some rough times. The Bible tells us that it rains on the just and the unjust, that there is a fairness to the things that we would face in that we're all living in a fallen world. Now, the difference is the way that we approach those troubling times and the way that we view God and his role in those troubling times in our lives. But we have to understand that we will face trouble. We will face dark days. And so this is not a prosperity type of gospel and life that says, hey, you can have anything you name and claim. You can get out of anything because Jesus keeps you out of trouble. No, 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 no. We have hope in Jesus, but we know that we will walk through trouble because we are human beings living in a fallen, sinful world. And that is the nature of of this world. And so the words of Jesus here in John chapter 16 verse 33 is that I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now here's what I want us to do today. I don't normally do this, so if you attend here regularly, you know this is a little bit different how we're going to walk through this passage. But we we've got four points today right out of this one verse of scripture. All four of these points because I'm a preacher all start with P. All right, so that's just going to be easy for you to remember. If you want to take notes, you can feel free to do that. I'll tell you a funny story right before we jump back in. I was in a service one time where a guy was preaching out of the book of 1 Peter. He also had three or four points. They all started with P. And so as he was giving his introduction, he said, tonight we're going to P our way right through Peter, which I thought was hilarious. You're not laughing as hard, so maybe you don't. That's not what we're going to do today. But we are going to have four points, all starting with P, from John 16, 33. The first thing that I think we can see here is that there is a proclamation. There is a proclamation. He said, I have told you these things. 
Now, Jesus is talking here to the disciples. Obviously, as we read it in present day in this time, we see that Jesus has also told us some things. In the book of John, what we see here is we see some teaching of Jesus, and we see some themes of Jesus that have been written down and recorded about Jesus. And he's talking here about the trouble that they were faced, the things that they're going to have to endure, the things that he was going to have to endure, the problems that were coming their way. And he's telling them all of those things. And he's saying to them, I have told you these things. Things. Now, here's what we all need to understand today. God is not hiding from us. Not only is God not hiding from us, he is also not hiding his truth from us. He's not attempting to keep his truth away from us. He's not attempting to keep his will away from us. He's not attempting to keep us away from how we can get out of the troubles that we face. And so he proclaims some things about our lives and about how he interacts with our lives. And there's a really great place that you can look for those proclamations, God's word. Now, again, whether or not you have a bound kind of printed leather and paper or plastic or whatever you have, whatever version of that you have, Look at it. Use it, right? You bought it or you stole it. So whatever you've got to do, use it. If you have a digital version, use it. All of this is the same. It is God's word. It is the written down, recorded words of God given to us through the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of men to record these words so that you can know who God is and you can know what God desires in the situations that you find yourself in in life. In our home, in our family, when something's going on and Corey and I are attempting to figure out how we're going to solve this problem or work towards a solution, we will sometimes lean into the wisdom of other people in our lives. We'll we'll lean into the wisdom of our parents or our friends or our family members or we'll go to some other source to try to find it. We go to God's word. We spend time in prayer because what we're trying to do is we're trying to use wisdom to understand how we walk through whatever situation is going on. A lot of times, many, many times, Corey will say, what I think we need to do is this. And she has a ton of wisdom. And so that's what we'll do because that's the best solution for us. Once or twice a year, I'll say, I think we need to do this. And that's what we'll do because you're going to have to hang with me today. You're going to have, that's the kind of mood I'm in. You're just going to have to hang with me, right? No, because we work together. But there are other times when we're not working towards a solution. We just want to get to know each other better. We've known each other since we were 13. We've been together for a number of years. It's not important how many years. We've been together for a long... But man, there's still things I'm learning about her. And she's learning about... Because we just want to get to know each other. Well, that's what God's Word provides us. is an opportunity to find wisdom as we walk through the situations of our lives. But also just to get to know our Heavenly Father. And so asking God to reveal Himself to us through His Word... And to help us to understand the proclamations that he has made about us, about himself, and about the situations that we're walking through in life. So he's making proclamation here. He is saying, I am telling you, I have told you these things. Now, I realize, if you're anything like me, that it seems like the disciples had it pretty easy, right? Because, man, they are walking with the physical form of God in the flesh here, Jesus Christ. And so how amazing would it be if you had that same advantage to have Jesus with skin and bones right next to you. So when you're on your job and you're trying to figure out what you should do, you can turn one foot to your right and go, Jesus, what do you think I can do here? And Jesus would say, well, Jeremy, what I think you should do is this. And then you just do that, right? That seems like a really easy 
thing that the disciples had the advantage of. And, and when you're in your home and you're working through a problem, you look, look to your left and you go, Jesus, what do you think we should do now? We should do here. And, and he would say, well, what I think you need to do is this. And so you go, okay, that's what we're going to do because you have Jesus in the physical flesh and form right in front of you. But right in the same chapter that we're reading here in John 16, Jesus said the craziest, most outlandish statement. He said it was actually better for us and better for the disciples there for him to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. Because not only did the disciples, or not, not did the disciples just have Jesus in physical form beside them that we sometimes, he said, listen, if I leave and you lose my physical nature beside you, you actually gain my spirit nature in you, right? So it's actually better for you then instead of me being standing right beside you in physical form, it's better for you that my spirit lives in you. So you don't have to look to your side and go, what should we do? You can actually look inside. You can ask the voice of God, the wisdom of God, to help reveal himself and wisdom to you so that you can know how you're supposed to respond to whatever it is that's going on in your life. So the first thing that we see in John 16, is a proclamation. I have told you these things. The second thing that we see here is peace. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So that in me you may have peace. Now, peace is this funny thing because it seems like the more we want peace and the more we need peace, sometimes the more elusive peace is, right? Because the monsters under the bed illustration with our kids, it's like, well, there's no monsters under your bed. I'm going to look. I'll show you. There's no monsters. So quit thinking about the monsters under your bed and just think about going to sleep. And what do they do? They just think, okay, there's no monsters under my bed. There's no monsters under my bed. There's monsters under my bed, right? Because that's all you start thinking about is the, like, the more you think about needing peace to escape the thing that's bringing you fear, sometimes the more fearful you get. I've told people in counseling sessions before and moments where they were kind of seeking pastoral advice, I'll say, you know, sometimes, and, and don't hear what I'm not saying, make sure you hear what I'm saying, sometimes you can actually pray yourself into a mess. Sometimes you can pray yourself into fear. You can pray yourself into trouble because what you do is you focus on your problem in prayer rather than focusing on the solution of your problem in prayer. I would encourage you that if you feel like sometimes you're just praying in this cycle of just being more and more fearful and unsure about how, quit focusing and praying about your problem and just thank God for getting you out of it. Thank God for meeting that need. Thank God that he's strong enough and great enough and good enough and that he loves you enough that you don't have to face those things, that he's going to bring victory in your life, which we'll talk about in a minute. So sometimes instead of praying about your problem, pray about the God that is bigger than your problem, because he says that in him we may have peace. I'm not the solution to the peace in my household. I'm not the solution to the peace in my kid's life. I'm not the solution for the peace that's needed in my marriage. I'm not the solution for the peace that's needed in your life or in this church. You're not the solution in your home for peace or on your job or at your school. You're not the solution for peace. He said, in me you may have peace. The source of peace is not you working harder or thinking less about your fears. It's thinking more about him and the peace that comes from him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 say this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about any 
thing, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, which means I'm making known the needs to God, and I'm also thanking God in advance of him meeting the need. I'm presenting the need to God, and when I do that, it says that his peace, not my peace, his peace will guard my heart and my mind, who? In Christ Jesus. He is the source of the peace in the midst of my trouble. That's the difference in that just and unjust that we were talking about. Everybody's facing trouble, but I can find peace in Christ Jesus. Somebody said to me the other day, they said, I don't know how couples, married couples that aren't believers make it because like we both love Jesus and it's a struggle. But we just kind of stay grounded on this idea that we both love God and he's working in each of us to perfect us and to perfect our marriage, to make us more and more like him. And so I encourage you in any area of your life, in any relationship in your life, when it's not grounded in Christ Jesus, you're going to have more trouble than you have hope. And so put your hope in God to help you in the midst of your trouble. So he makes a proclamation. I've told you these things. He gives us peace by saying, so that in me you may have peace. And then he talks about a period of time. Period of time is the third P. Proclamation, peace, and period of time. When he says, in this world you will have trouble. Now, when you read that, you might think he's talking about a place, which is also a P. I could have used place there, but I decided to trick you a little bit. Because I don't believe he's talking about the place of the world. I think he's talking about the period of time that the world represents. What he's talking about here is he's talking about that there is a finite period of time that the world, the lives that we live in this world, and the troubles that we face in this world exist. And there will come a time, as anything that is finite, where that ends. And so he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Matthew 24, 14, this won't be on the screen, says this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus is talking here about the the timeline of the kingdom of God, and he said that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world, to all the nations. And once that is done, the end of this world will come. Now, that doesn't mean the end of the story. It doesn't mean the end of us. It doesn't mean the end of God. It means the end of this world, the end of this earth. There is a larger story being written by God, and we see that referenced in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, when it says, For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. I remember my grandparents talking about, you know, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. It's the idea that this world is just a portion of the story of all eternal beings. And all of us are eternal beings. We believe that all of us have lives that are represented in eternity. And so when we believe in Jesus, when we believe on God and who he is and the truth about himself that he claimed about himself, that we can actually spend eternity with him in heaven. But we also believe if you choose not to do that, that you would spend eternity apart from him in a place of judgment and wrath. And so what we understand is he's saying in this world, in this period of time, you're going to face trouble here in this place and in this time. And that's going to happen. But we understand that in this world, it's a period of time. It's not all of time. And so, again, I don't want to minimize what you're walking through. 
I don't want to minimize the hurt and the pain. I don't want to minimize the troubles that you're facing. But let me just say to you that if you have the ability to try to zoom out as much as possible from your problems, if you have the ability to try to remove as much emotion as you possibly can from the things that you're walking through, and you have the ability to detach yourself just for a moment, almost to kind of recreate this like out-of-body experience a little bit. It doesn't take away the reality of what you're facing. It doesn't take away the emotions that you're facing. It doesn't take away how serious it is in the relationships that you have in your life. But I believe it does allow you to see God in the midst of your trouble. I do believe that it allows you to see your trouble in the midst of the larger story that God is writing in you and in the world. And so understand that not only is he proclaiming something, not only is he promising peace to us, he also gives us a period of time that the troubles we are facing will exist in our lives. That's really, really important because I know sometimes it feels like you're never going to get out. You're in, you're in some trouble. There's some things going on. Like I know some of you have walked some dark nights when you are just praying for the sun to crest over the horizon because you can't stand another moment of the darkness of night. I know some of you, you've walked through days, man, when you didn't know, you didn't want the phone to ring another time because it was another bad report. It was another piece of bad news. Like, I know there are some things that you have walked through. And let me just say, even in the midst of that, when you feel like it is never going to end, it is going to end. It is going to pass away. It is going to go. It's not going to last forever. There is a period of time connected to our trouble. And so not only does he make proclamation, not only does he give us peace, not only does he talk about a period of time, but fourthly, he makes a promise. Fourthly, he makes a promise. He said, if you remember, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the promise. Take heart. Be encouraged. Be strengthened because I have overcome the world. Romans 8.37 says this. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming victory is possible. He makes us a promise that he has overcome the world. Again, when we're in the midst of the circumstances we're facing, when we're in the midst of the trouble that we're facing, sometimes it doesn't feel like we can get out, doesn't feel like we can make it, but I encourage you to remember that he has overcome the world. Nothing that you're facing is stronger than him. Nothing is greater than him. If you read in 1 Peter chapter 3, I taught, about, taught on it this past Wednesday night when I was at our Marietta campus, and I taught about that part in 1 Peter 3 where it talks about in between that period of time where Jesus was put to death and then he was resurrected, but before he appeared to all the different people and ascended back to the Father, it says that he went to those imprisoned spirits and he proclaimed to them. That's not really even important what he proclaimed to them except to know that they were imprisoned spirits and he was free and not even death could overcome him and he proclaimed victory to those imprisoned spirits. Even death is not more powerful than him. Nothing that we face is more powerful than the power of God, the victory that's available through him. He has overcome the world. Now, I know when you look at me, you probably don't think I work out very much. And you would be right. But I have worked out before, a couple of times. And so I know a few things about working out. In the first service, Leonard was in here. Leonard works out like all the time. There's not, no, nobody in the room that I would point to that works out a lot, right? And this, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But when I have worked out, I've worked out best when I have a partner. 
for a lot of reasons. One, the accountability that if I don't show up, they're going to get mad and call me and say, hey, why weren't you there? So that's a part of it. The second thing is, I have someone to do the exercises with. I have someone that is helping me in the workout, whatever that workout is. So let's just use, for example, like the bench press. That's something where most, most of us are familiar with. I would lay down, right, and then I would grab the bar. There's weights on the end of the bar, probably for me, like five or 600 pounds. I would pick... I would pick the bar up with one hand even. I, no, no, no. What I do is I would lay down. I would pick the bar up, and there's weight on it. When I have a partner, when I had a personal trainer for a short season of time, or I have a friend that's working out with me, what do they do? They stand over me as I work out, and they spot me. What they're doing is they're providing a safety for me so that if the weight is ever more than I can bear on my own, when I go down, that's the easy part. And then I begin to push back up. If it begins to be too much for me to push off of me, to push that load away from me, they are standing there to help grab that weight up off of me and reposition that weight away from causing me danger. That's what they do. That's what they're helping me to accomplish is to make sure that even as I'm attempting to get stronger, I'm attempting to bear the load of what I am under in that moment. There is someone else there to help bear that load to make sure that I am not injured in the process. They are helping to pull the weight up off of me. Now, here's the reality for all of us, whether you work out ever or never. The reality is that the Heavenly Father, God, is that spotter for you, right? He is the one who is standing over you, keeping the full weight off of you. He is making sure that nothing that you're facing will bring lasting harm to you. Now, I know you say, well, I've been harmed. There are some things that have hurt me. There are some in this world they have. But the eternal consequences of the things that you face. If you have put your hope and your trust in God, he's standing over you and he is helping to bear the weight of the things that you're facing. He's keeping that weight, that full weight up off of you, even helping you to finish the reps where you feel stronger than you actually are because he's helping you to feel strong. And so today, I don't know what you're walking through, I don't know the circumstances of your life. I don't know if you're a dad in the room and you feel like a miserable failure. But I would say to you that the loving Heavenly Father is looking on you right now. He provides for you the example of what love and fatherhood actually looks like. And I encourage you to look to Him. Not to feel like you are the peace solution in your home. Not to feel like you have to have all the answers in your home. Not to feel like you have to be perfect in your home. But that you can trust in God to keep the full weight off of you so that you can actually feel stronger than you are on your own. Maybe you're a mom in the room. And you go, I, I'm, man, I'm, I'm messing it up. I hope I'm not messing my kids up in the process. No, the Heavenly Father is over you as well, and He's pulling the weight off of you, and He's helping you to operate in the strength that you do possess, and He's helping you to feel stronger than you actually are if you will trust Him to take the load off of you. Maybe you're a single parent. Maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe you're an empty nester in the room and you're not sure how you're gonna take your hands off of your kids raising your grandkids or maybe your grandkids are living with you for a time or maybe you don't have kids in the room. Maybe you're just walking through a stage of life where none of the examples that I've given as it relates to stage of life are where you're at. But today I encourage you to look to the heavenly father as the one standing over you 
bearing the weight of the trouble that you're facing. He's not hiding from you. He's not hiding his truth from you. He is proclaiming his goodness towards you and declaring that you can have peace because for a limited amount of time as it relates to eternity, he wants you to know that the trouble that you're facing is nothing in comparison to the victory that he's provided for you. He is strong enough. He's great enough. He's big enough. He has overcome the world. But in this world, as long as he chooses to allow us to be in this world, we're going to face some trouble. But the difference for those who are Christ followers in the room is that we can have peace today. He provides hope for us today because he is enough. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes as we pray to conclude our time together today. God, I pray right now for every person in this room who's walking through some trouble. Presently, they are walking through some dark times. They're not sure how they're going to make it. I pray right now, God, that you would reveal yourself in a new way to them, that they would recognize your power and your strength, that they could realize that victory is available because of you. And God, today I pray that they would rest in that. They wouldn't look to their own source, to their own self as the source of their victory, but they would look to you, God. Lord, I pray today that they would see you as their strength when they're weak. God, I pray that when they're walking through trouble, they would recognize that they can have peace and they can have hope and that it would actually stand out in the world because other people are walking through similar situations. It doesn't mean we've got our head in the sand. It just means we recognize that there's something greater than what we're walking through. I pray for every father in this room that he would have the strength to lead his home well, whether his kids live with him or not, that he would model for his kids the model that you provide for us, the example you provide for us, our Heavenly Father. I pray for every mom in the room, that God, you'd give her strength to endure, to live, to celebrate, to love her kids well. God, I pray for every single parent in the room who, who they're so tired, they're trying to figure out how to do it. God, I pray right now for them for strength to endure, strength to make it. I pray for grandparents in the room. I pray for single individuals. I pray for couples that don't have kids. I pray, God, for every person in this room that they wouldn't look to themselves as the solution and the answer, but, God, they would look to you in the midst of the troubles that they're facing, God, that they would see you as their source of peace and their source of strength because you have overcome the world. And, God, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're going to do. And God, we ask you to help us to trust you for victory and to trust you for peace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.